I'm Douglas Berger, and this is Glass City Humanist. Each episode, we talk about living a full, positive, and rational life as a humanist. Glass City Humanist is for anyone who believes they are a humanist or who are looking for a different way of living the best life. In this episode, I talk about the large amount of hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and other magical thinking brought on by the response to the pandemic, and what humanists and others can do to get through the cloud of problem thinking. Glass City Humanist is an outreach of the secular humanists of Western Lake Erie. If you live in the Northwest Ohio area, check out our website at humanistswle.org for events, meetings, and other information of interest to humanists and other free thinkers in the area. One of the guiding principles of humanism is that we don't subscribe or we shouldn't subscribe to magical thinking. And magical thinking doesn't have to deal with just belief in a supernatural being or that some kind of creator is in control of everything. You know, that's the standard magical thinking. Magical thinking can also include being too skeptical, (laughs) Um, not trusting science, or trying to be a contrarian when it comes to scientific discoveries. Now, most humanists aren't. But uh, one one of the ways that humanism is is better for people is the fact that we try to not subscribe to magical thinking. And so what I wanted to talk about today is about being a skeptic. And again, um, if you've seen or listened to this program before, uh, our first episode, uh, we had a lengthy interview, one of the people that were founding, that founded uh, Toledo Skeptics. And so we talked about skepticism then too. But for those that are unfamiliar with skepticism. Skepticism is generally, in general, um, questioning or having doubts about a particular thing that people know about or are talking about. And what that means is that somebody makes a statement, let's say the sky is blue, and unless there is good enough evidence, a skeptic will not, will not um, agree to that. So basically what it means is you just have to have more evidence to believe a certain belief, whatever belief that is. It's generally applied to, again, magical thinking such as uh, a uh, supreme being or a creator controlling the earth. Other times it can be applied to uh, laws and policies, public policies. Not often, but it it can be. Uh, It can be uh, applied to uh, social justice issues. If you have a certain thing that somebody wants to do, you can say, well, is this going to affect a certain group of people? And then what you need is you need evidence to see that that's going to affect certain people. You you just can't say, well, we can't do that because it will affect people. The type of evidence that you need doesn't have to be current or direct, it, direct evidence gathered just for that particular claim. You can also use historical evidence like They've done this thing in the past, and this is what happened. You can, you can use that as a frame of reference for an argument um, to be persuasive with somebody. It's not always the case. 
Because the one thing you don't want to do is do the, uh, the, well, this is what, how we've always done it. You know, that's, that can be for argument or making a claim that can be, uh, foolhardy as it were. But anyway, so basically the reason why I'm bringing this topic up today is because during this incredible historic time that we've been in the last 15, 18 months, with the pandemic is you can see that there is a lot of people, or at least I've noticed a lot of people who give into magical thinking and turn off their brains and believe anything that they want, that just is not true. That's been proven false. And, and it's not just religion. There's just been a ton of people who have been anti-science. And, and I was aware that there is people that, that distrusted science. I, I know all about the creationists that trying to get evolution taken out of the schools and put the Bible back in. I know about that. I know about the people who are anti-vaccines. Um, uh, when I worked with the Secular Coalition of Ohio, we lobbied the state legislature to remove religious exemptions for vaccines. Uh, obviously, we were unsuccessful. But, you know, I'm aware of that issue. But it was just mind-boggling to me during these past few months and year to see the large number of people who just turn their brains off when it comes to the pandemic and, and science and health. And it scared me. It really does. It, it scares me. That so many people can do this. Let me give you an example. Last summer, when when the mask mandates and public health orders were kicking in, uh, they had a large number of people protesting max mask mandates. And there is plenty of scientific evidence that supports wearing a mask during the pandemic, and, and among other things too. I mean, I had a conversation with a conservative friend of mine who kept making the claim that, that masks don't work. And if they did, why do we have to do the social distancing and, and uh, hand-washing and such? And I, had, I explained to him that the science shows that it reduces your chance of getting it. It doesn't prevent it. The only way you could prevent it is if you had a bubble boy suit. And... <laughs> You know, like one of those space suits and not everybody can have one. But if you had a paper mask, a disposable paper mask, that was better than nothing. Much better than nothing. And so he just kind of made this argument. Well, he didn't want to wear a mask since it didn't prevent it. It, it was just infuriating to, to have these conversations with him. But, uh, yeah, they had like hundreds of people at, in Columbus at the state house, uh, protesting. They had hundreds of people at the state house in Lansing, Michigan complaining all over. I mean, in other countries too. And then the other thing most recently was in Orange County, California, uh, as we, um, continue with making sure people get vaccinated that there was a proposal in Orange County, California to have a digital database of people who had been vaccinated so that 
uh, it would be a backup to, cause people, the, uh, people that were administering the vaccines were, they give you a paper card with, uh, usually it's the, the information about the vaccine, that particular vaccine that you, that you got, lot numbers and all that stuff. And then when you got it. Basically, you hold on to that because, because these vaccines were approved under emergency measures, uh, we're essentially guinea pigs. We're, we're testing these vaccines out. They're still good. You know, all the experts say that the side effects are, are in the normal range of what they expect for side effects for vaccines. But because they haven't been given full official approval yet, they still want to track everything. So, not only do you get the card, like I did, uh, the, um, they have an app that you had to answer each day. Yeah. You had to, uh, check in each day for a week. And then the second week, it was just once a week and, and then they stopped asking. So they just want to know if you're, if you feel ill, if you've had any hives or whatever, whatever reaction you had to the vaccine. But so Orange County, Orange County, California, wanted to have this this uh, digital uh, vaccine card for people to use. They had a, a, an app that the county uses. And, and then that way, if somebody ever questioned whether or not you had been vaccinated, you could go, do, 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 here you go. And people lost their minds. 580 people showed up at a county meeting to complain about a digital uh, vaccine card. Uh, this whole thing in the right wing sphere about uh, vaccine passports, they just, and, and so, you know, and you had this, well, the government's not going to track me and, and uh, they don't need to know what I'm doing and, and stuff. And, and, and it's funny, it's kind of ironic because a lot of these people have smartphones Um unless you had the GPS turned off on your phone, the government knows where you're at. <laughs> they can know where you're at. All they have to do is ping your phone. If you ever seen any of those police shows, they ping your phone. But people just lost their minds and, and they just brought out these old tr uh, tropes about masks not working and, and people still saying that the, 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 the pandemic was a hoax and, and this has been a, more than a year, more than a year, 500,000 plus people dead and people are still saying it's a hoax. So what I kind of wanted to talk about today and something that might want to check out and I'll, again, I'll throw a link up in the show notes about it is a thing called the baloney detection kit. Uh, it was created by Carl Sagan for his book, uh, Demon Haunted World, Science as a Candle in the Dark. Um, I really recommend the book. It's very good. Um, and unfortunately, I don't know how he would be handling <laughs> the situation today. All right. So he has a chapter in this book called The Fine Art of Baloney Detection. And he gives some tips or some tools that you can use. Uh, basically to fortify your mind against penetration by falsehoods. And so he talks about in his book that it's not merely a tool of science. It contains valuable tools of healthy skepticism 
that apply just as elegantly and just as necessarily to everyday life. One of the phrases that I've heard in the past is, don't be so skeptical that your brain falls out. <laughs> and again, these are just tools. It's not something that you just use, go to A to B to C to D or whatever. Just These are just bits and pieces that you can use in your everyday life. So the first thing he talks about, and I'm just going to go over some of these, not, not the whole thing. need to read the whole article. The first thing he says is, wherever possible, there must be independent confirmation of the facts. Uh, there's some news organizations that do fact-checking. Uh, those help. Uh, there are third parties that uh, have really no axe to grind that do fact-checking, such as Snopes, Snopes.com. Uh, you should really check that out. Uh, PolitiFacts is another one that does a good one. Now, there's been a thing with uh, uh, Facebook having a uh, fact-checking organization, or it's a group of media outlets that get together to fact-check stuff on Facebook. That is not, it, there's been problems with that, that group. One thing is they have a, a, a really extreme right-wing <laughs> news site that's part of this group, so... It's not independent, that's for sure. But you want to get independent confirmation of the facts. Number two is encourage substantive de debate on the evidence by knowledgeable proponents of all points of view. And this will go back to the coronavirus and the pandemic. Uh, there was this one point where news organizations, particularly like Fox News or the other conservative outlets, were breathlessly saying, doctors say masks don't work. Or, or something like that. It was something about whatever, whatever the CDC was saying, these group of doctors disagree. Well, the group of doctors happened to be chiropractors. They were giving, <laughs> they were giving their advice about how to treat a communicable disease, a virus, and they were chiropractors. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not one of those that think that chiropractors should be, uh, tar, uh, feathered or anything like that, because I have a relative who is a chiropractor. Uh, I've had chiropractic chiropractors work on me in the past. It works for some people. It doesn't work for all people, but they definitely do not have any experience in virology or in, uh, uh, study of viruses or study of diseases. They don't. <laughs> I mean, they are on the scale of things, expert-wise. They are they are below ER doctors. You know, somebody that's had some medical training, uh, just because they're called doctors, they're doctors of chiropractic. They're not do medical doctors. But so that's why you have to watch out um, who is actually debating the evidence or presenting evidence whether or not they're knowledgeable about the topic. Um, the other one, the other one that people should be aware of is some uh, groups that are challenging climate change uh, policies to, to limit to climate change are fronted by biologists or, or uh, uh, other types of uh, science that is not has anything to do with uh, climate. So they are the, 
they claim to be the authority, but they're not. Uh, the other, the other part of this uh, toolkit that I also wanted to talk about was uh, not to be overly attached to arguments from authority. Uh, basically, that means that, let's say, Dr. Fauci, if he said, you know, you should drink, uh, drink chlorine or something like that to treat COVID. And then people would say, well, Dr. Fauci, he's the, the medical guru on COVID. So what he says must be true. Well, not necessarily. <laughs> I know it's, it sounds, it sounds hypocritical, uh, to say that, uh, that the evidence, the debate on evidence should be knowledgeable proponents of all points of view and then say, but don't hold to any authorities. Don't hold too close to any authorities. That's because people are, it's, we're dealing with humans. We're dealing with people who can make mistakes. Science is imperfect and you can have one idea about something in science and then new evidence comes along later and you find out that you were totally wrong. It happens. And so because authorities have made mistakes in the past and they will do so in the future, you don't say that they're authorities on something. You say that they're experts. Their field, their field of study is this particular thing. Uh, the other thing is Oscom's razor. Uh, what that means is that uh, when you're faced with two hypotheses that explain the data equally well, that you choose the simpler hypothesis. You know, it just depends. If, if it takes you multiple connections to connect two things and you have another side where you can connect it in less than that multiples, it's usually going to be that simpler, that simpler form. That's going to be the more correct. All right. And then finally, what I want to talk about when we're talking about skepticism is about what they call um, logical fallacies. It's good to, to keep up on, and you don't need to know the Latin terms for these or, or what. You just kind of have to be familiar with seeing them in public debates and identifying them so you don't get caught off, guarded by them. And so I just want to go over uh, a couple of these. Uh, the big one is ad hominem. And ad, ad hominem in in this, uh, in logical fallacies is when you attack a person and not their argument. So let's say, uh, Joe Schmo says the sky is blue and somebody comes back. Well, Joe Schmo beats his wife. Well, that's an ad hominem. You're attacking Joe Schmo, but you're not, you're not, uh, countering his, his claim that the sky is blue what you're looking for is an indirect discredit without having to actually prove that the sky isn't blue. You discredit the person who's making the claim. And so that makes the claim untrue, which is not true, but that's what people think. Uh, another one is begging the question. That's always a, a common one. Begging the question means to elicit a specific question as a reaction or response. That means that the answer that you're looking for is part of the premise. And that's not, that doesn't have, that's not how things work when you're, when you're studying information or trying to figure out facts. And in this article, 
It gives an example. It says, we must institute the death penalty to discourage violent crime. But does the violent crime rate, in fact, fall when the death penalty is imposed? You know, so it's, it's basically assuming the answer before it's been asked. Uh, the other thing, the, another one that was recent was, uh, in the news that business owners were complaining about a labor shortage because, um, the extended unemployment benefits that the government were paying people during the pandemic was, uh, disincentivizing people from going back to work. They offer no proof that that is the case. So they're begging the question. Let's see. Observational selection. That's a good one. That, that one got, got applied quite often, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, as people were getting sick, er, and hospitals were becoming overrun. There were still people who said that they didn't know anybody that had COVID. Do you know anybody that had COVID? So why are we doing these uh, public health orders? Uh, the other, the other one that they were doing was 99% of the people that got COVID survived. So why do I have to be inconvenienced if this, such a small number died? But what they didn't tell you is the percentage, the, the 1% that died was a large, huge number, like thousands of people. And so that, that's kind of like the observational selection. And then uh, similar with statistic, statistics of small numbers, uh, when you claim that, that uh, two people disagree, so everybody must disagree with something. Or you say one out of every five people is, chi is Chinese, how is that possible? Uh, I know hundreds of people, none of them are Chinese. Oh, another good one is when cele celebrity deaths. Uh, the, the, uh, old wives tale is that, uh, uh, celebrities die in, in threes. And so people try to say, well, who's going to die today or whatever. And, and then you come to find out that that's not always the case. And, and you just kind of don't, don't talk about that. <laughs> you don't uh, point that out when it wasn't true. You just, uh, make comments about when it was true. Another uh, big uh, logical fallacy is the straw man. And basically what that is, is creating a caricature of the thing that you're arguing against so that it's easier for you to refute it. I'll give you one recent example. Uh, Josh Mandel, who is report reportedly running for the U United States Senate from Ohio uh, after Rob Portman retires, he wrote an op-ed that was published in some various newspapers around the state where he claimed that the secular left prohibited uh, a prayer before the Ohio House of Representatives in when he was uh, an Ohio House member, that they had complained and got, got it to the prayers uh, before the session banned. And so basically he's creating a straw man of this, this nebulous secular left boogeyman that's trying to attack Christianity. Uh, the truth of that story is that at the time, this is in 2007, if you wanted to have, uh, members could invite members of the clergy to do the, the morning prayer before session. 
and it could not include Jesus because Jesus is is a sectarian uh, prophet of a particular religion. Uh, in order to give prayer in the morning, it had to be non-sectarian, non-denominational, uh, basically just generic. And so they had some complaints that uh, some of the clergy that were being invited were giving these long prayers celebrating Jesus. And so the house leadership, led at that time by the House Speaker, who is our current Lieutenant Governor John Husted, sent out a memo and stopped the practice for a short time until the members started following the rules. Part of the reasons why they, they had the, the rules was at the time they were trying to abide by a 1983 U.S. Supreme Court decision where you had to have, if you were going to have prayer during a legislative body, it had to be ultra-generic. You could, you could pray to God, but you couldn't pray to Muhammad, or you couldn't pray to Jesus, or things like that. It's kind of dumb anyway. I don't support prayer before legislative bodies, but that's what the rules were at the time. So basically, Josh Mandel created a straw man to attack people who are opposed to Christianity. I'm opposed to religion being used as a sword against people to discriminate. That doesn't mean I'm anti, anti-Christian. You know, it's people, if people want to believe things, religious things, that's on them. They're free to do that as individuals, as citizens of the United States. They are free to believe whatever religion they want to believe. The problem comes when they step over the line and try to force it on other people. And that's just not the secular, that, that's just not, limited to this this group, this nebulous group that he talks about, the secular left. That's anybody who is who supports a secular government that's neutral on religion would oppose those prayers. And and so he creates this straw man so he can attack it. And I'll throw that link for that letter on the in the show notes as well. And then finally, as part of these uh, logic logic fallacies. I kind of want to mention a thing called uh, what they call weasel words. And basically these are words that are used to describe something that the thing that it is describing is not. For example, they, uh, I believe it's the state house. Ohio state house is considering a bill to ban transgender women from playing in sports, women's sports. That's a big thing, big social justice issue going around right now. Uh, a bunch of legislatures around the country are creating these laws or, or proposing these laws to discriminate against transgender women for whatever reason that they can come up with. It's, there's no, I'll tell you right now, there's no science, definitive science that a transgender woman has an advantage over uh, women who were born women in sports, but this is the this is the new the new boogeyman for the right is they're worried about these transgender women. Of course, they don't say anything about transgender men; they just worry about transgender women. So they create these weasel words 
for these laws, and it happens in other laws too, where where it's going to do a bad thing, but they don't want. If they had to have the truth in the title, people wouldn't support it. So for this bill to ban transgender women from women's sports, it's called saving women's sports, <laughs> and that's those are weasel words or. The example it uses in the article that I'm uh, recommending, it talks about that only Congress can declare war. So when presidents send the military into places, they don't call it a war. They call it a police action or an armed incursion or uh, safeguarding American interests. <laughs> Euphemisms for war are one of the broad class reinventions of language for political purposes. So hopefully I've given you some tips. Uh, re I recommend this article on uh, the Brain Pickings uh, website. It, it gives a general summary of uh, Sagan's baloney protection kit and talks about these logical fallacies. And hopefully we can try to mitigate some of this magical thinking that's going around. But I don't know. It, uh, it, it's going to be hard. It, it, it's going to be hard. And so, uh, again... Just to reiterate that being a skeptic isn't just being a contrarian. Um, there is actually a process to go through to be skeptical about something. And just because you disagree with it doesn't mean you're a skeptic. Thank you for listening to this episode of Glass City Humanist. For further information, notes, and links used in the show, check out the episode page at glasscityhumanist.show. The show is written and produced by Douglas Berger, and he is entirely responsible for the content. Comments and complaints can be left on the website or sent by email to listenercomments at glasscityhumanist.show. We are sponsored in part by the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie, and they can be reached at humanistwle.org. The theme music used on Glass City Humanist is Your Call by Kevin McLeod from filmmusic.io and is licensed through creativecommons.org as Attribution 4.0 International. See you next time.